Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History Voyager, a podcast about history. As always, thank you very, very much for listening to my podcast. There's a zillion of them out there, and I love that anybody listens to this podcast at all. It's truly amazing. I am winding down what is season two of the History Voyager. I have already decided I'm going to do a deep dive into a part of history because that is what this channel was supposed to be about. And and then 2020 and 2021 became so historic that I I figured I had to talk about it. I, you know, I, I had to, I figured. Anyway, so this is a young man. He is a British... Mexican person, and I talked to him about a lot of things, most notably Brexit, and the thing that came home to me as I was re-listening to this podcast was the uncertainty of Brexit in the modern, I guess the modern British climate or whatever. It just feels like it's really uncertain. And that, to me, I guess is the theme of 2020 and 2021, really, is that it is uncertain and nobody really does know what's going to happen. And in this country, that's not a concept that we're comfortable with. You know, we're not comfortable with our experts not knowing things, at least being honest with us that they don't know certain things. and, And that... That's going to be a, a common thing, I would imagine, um, throughout Brexit. As I've said in this episode, I don't know that Brexit is going to be a permanent feature. Um, first of all, I, I don't believe that anything is permanent. Honestly, I, history teaches me that, that nothing really is permanent. Anyway... With that in mind, um, and you're going to hear a lot of um, a lot of hesitancy, and there's even a part in this podcast where I, where I ask him to describe the the voters, at least in the minds of um, at least in his own mind, and he didn't do it. And the reason why was he said the the voters changed, but I think that's common. I think. You know, we're, at least in America, I guess, and in Britain as well, we're sort of reassessing what the voters actually are. Uh, The word for that from a political science perspective is who the coalitions are. And I guess it's fair to say that in Britain, as in the United States, the the voting coalitions have kind of changed. Um, And I guess, you know, from that perspective as from so many other perspectives, uh, there is more that unites than divides. Um, of course, you know, America and, and Great Britain are two nations uh, disunited by a common language, as the um, saying goes. And there's just a lot of uncertainty around Brexit, as there is a lot of uncertainty around uh, the political climate in the U.S., uh, today. Anyway, so this is it. This is episode 87 of the History Voyager. Uh, enjoy, and um, 
I'll catch you guys later. All right. Bye-bye. So I'm here with Itor, and you're listening to the History Voyager podcast, a podcast about history. Itor, you are, I guess, how do you, what do you consider yourself as far as nationality, ethnicity, and all that? Oh, uh, British Mexican, Mexican British, uh, okay. Which way around, but yeah, <laughs> no, basically, yeah, yeah, um, right. There aren't a lot of Mexicans living in Britain, are there? I wouldn't think, uh, no, not that many, um. I mean, at least not that I've ever right. really encountered. The most that I've met are like cousins and family and stuff. So you you have cousin? I didn't know you had cousins that live in Britain. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, only like a few. But okay, yeah. <laughs> so I also wanted to talk to you about your ideas on Brexit. Um. Yeah. So, what do you think about Brexit? Oh, I mean, it's a really bad idea, but it's what we've got now, so we've got to live with it. Um, I mean, the, the best part is seeing all the Brexiteer fishermen and stuff who are now going back and saying, oh, I can't sell anything. My business is going under. I'm losing all this money because of Brexit, and it's just... And they're all like, oh, yeah, I-, I wish I could go back and have changed my mind because I, I clearly made a mistake. And it's just like, yeah, you, you were told this. There were plenty of experts who said that that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's not going to help in any way. Yeah. And they were just like, no, no, it will happen. But what will happen? When you say it will happen, what will happen? Well, that's the thing. Everyone... Everyone had a very different idea of what Brexit could mean. And, well, most Brexiteer politicians didn't really do much to clarify what Brexit would mean and what it would become. They just kept saying that anything could happen, which is really good because, I mean... On the, on the politics side, it, it makes it really easy to make people support you when you have a really vague, ambiguous, sunny promise. But then in reality, it makes it really difficult to like deliver on that. And then, as, as we're seeing now, what everyone seems seemed to think would happen hasn't happened. And what happened? And what Remainers, people who wanted to stay in the EU and didn't want Brexit, said might happen or probably would happen, continually keeps happening. Because, I mean, we went from uh, supposedly it was going to be the the easiest and best trade deal ever negotiated to Article 50 taking two years longer than it needed, than it should have to to be passed. Mm. And that was just the first step. That wasn't even the actual Brexit. That was just the the mm. deal that we that we would agree 
after starting to leave, but before we fully left. And then we had a year to negotiate a proper deal, which obviously got taken over by Corona. And well, most Brexit politicians were just like, no, it's fine. We, we, we don't have to put any more effort in until December. Right. The reason I wanted to interview a young person specifically was because um, I feel like you guys, this is the bed you guys are going to have to sleep in. Right. Yeah. Like one way or the other, like you're either going to have to negotiate the world with a, with a Brexited, with a, a Britain separated from the EU, or you're going to have to put it back together or whatever. Um, what are some of the challenges you see in your personal life uh, with Brexit? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, we can't travel to the EU without a visa as of, I think it's from June. But uh, as with most things about Brexit, it's not particularly clear exactly what's happening there. Um, we've also lost uh, Erasmus, the Erasmus scheme. So like, if I want to do my master's in an EU country, Previously, I could go without any fees or um, visa requirements or anything like that. I could just go and study and it should be fine. Uh, now, since we don't have the Erasmus scheme anymore, or we're not part of it, sorry, uh, that doesn't apply. Supposedly, the the UK government is coming in, coming up with a replacement called the Turing scheme, I think, but they, they again haven't explained or given any details on that. So who knows how that's going to be. Um, a lot of goods and services are covered in, well, a lot of goods and stuff are covered in the deal, but most of the UK is either finance or services, and those aren't covered in the deal. So a lot of jobs which have already left um, the UK probably won't be coming back anytime soon. So it's going to make finding a job that little bit harder, even on top of all the lockdown and coronavirus issues. Yeah. Um, and things are getting more expensive. Oh, and because we're not part of the EU supergroup anymore, things like uh, the the Interpol and Europol and stuff, I, I think we are still part of that, but not as big a part as we used to be. And just stuff like that on like security and just general life is a little bit more unsafe because we're on our own. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you, um, that seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, it does. Um, so what, I mean, I'm assuming you're bilingual, right? Yeah. I'm assuming you, you speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's the job market for 
a, a young Briton such as yourself, who's also fluent in Spanish. Which brings me to another point that I'm not clear on. Is Mexican Spanish similar enough to Spanish? Like Spain, uh, I guess, continental European Spanish? Like, is Mexican Spanish similar enough to continental European Spanish that it would be like you could talk to a Spanish person and they would understand you in Spanish? Uh, I mean, the, the job market is, at the minute, not great anyway. Um, there's basically just, like, no jobs and the few jobs that are available I have to or at least the, the graduate level ones that I can apply for because I'm not obviously not going to apply for like a senior management position or, or anything like that but the ones that I am eligible for I have to compete against uh, everyone in my year who hasn't got a job which is pretty much everybody uh, all the um, older groups of graduates and also I now have to compete against like I don't know 50 year olds with three degrees two masters and a 20 year history of experience in the field which just makes getting a job at the minute just impossible so it's not great uh, it's a little bit better because I have because I am bilingual and and my degree was uh, a joint degree with Spanish, but it, uh, it, like that extra step up doesn't cover the the massive gap of there's not enough jobs and a lot of people have lost their jobs because of Corona. Um. Is it? Let me ask you this. Before Brexit, would it have been possible for you to work in, uh, I don't know, France or Spain or Germany or like that? Would would that have been possible? Uh, and, now, and now after Brexit, that's just not as easy? Yeah, I mean, before Brexit, we were in the EU so we had all the all access and visa free border free travel so yeah we could uh, freedom of movement we could I could I could have gone if Brexit hadn't happened I could have finished university and gone to try and find a job in Spain if that was what I wanted um now well yeah there's no freedom of movement, so now there would be like a whole, uh, I guess like a whole visa situation that would be hard to navigate because it sounds to me like nobody really knows what's going on. Like it sounds to me like as far as goods and services go, no one anywhere knows actually what's happening. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um. Yeah, basically, um, yeah, they they they've said that for a period of time there's no need to get a visa, but you may need 
uh, to apply for stuff for like um, driver's license because now now a UK driver's license is no longer valid in an EU country, whereas before it would have been absolutely fine. Or uh, like healthcare for a small period of time. I think it. I think it's all pretty much till like June ish, or at least the summer. Uh, every everyone that has a valid EHIC card, which is a European health insurance card, is okay. And then after that, um, no one really knows. I. Th- think you may have to get like health insurance or travel insurance or something if if you went on if if coronavirus wasn't there and you went on holiday to anywhere in Europe um I think a lot of it is just people banking on the fact that for the time being travel is basically not an option and so all these things that no one really knows about doesn't matter because the vast majority of people can't go on holiday they can't find they can't look for jobs in another country i mean like they could barely leave their own houses at the minute and then yeah yeah. um i mean going back to the earlier point of um i didn't i didn't i forgot to answer sorry yeah uh yeah Mexican Spanish is, uh, yeah, it's Spanish. It's basically the same everywhere in every Spanish-speaking country. The only real differences are, like, phrases. Um, Some words can mean different things in each country. So, like, in... uh... Well, the reason I ask you about Spanish is, like, in, in the U.S., like Spanish is the second most spoken language. Like you know, yeah, in the U.S., Spanish is the second. Like I live in the county I live in, we have more Spanish-speaking people in this county than practically anywhere else in the country. I mean, you know, just saying. But I guess in in Britain they don't. Like uh, in Britain, do you have to publish? Because we have to publish uh, documents in Spanish here. Like, government documents have to be printed in Spanish in my county. Is that... Do they have to do that in Britain? That you know of? Yeah. Uh, no, um, I mean, in Scotland, Wales, and uh, Northern Ireland... They do have to. Well, they don't. Well, I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure they have to in Northern Ireland, but they do have to do it uh, in Wales and def- and in Scotland as well. Yeah, in Scottish or Welsh. But that's just an. That's just the language on the island. That's not. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I would have thought, being as it was Europe, I would have thought they. Would, be printing stuff in other languages. I don't know. Um, maybe not like as an official general thing. No. All right. So okay. So do do you think I wanted to ask you this before we move on to 
your take on Mexico. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's going to be a moment where Britain is going to rejoin the EU, or do you think it's just sort of this is how it is? Uh, I, I mean, I really hope so. Um, I think possibly it depends how, um, like the next few years go with Brexit. Cause obviously so far we've only had, um, well, it's 24, 25 days of official proper Brexit. And that's just been under lockdown. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. even though there is all these problems with, um, like fishermen and all these other stuff not having the proper paperwork that's just because they waited till the till what was it christmas day or christmas eve to actually negotiate a deal and then implement it on the on new year's day which i mean doesn't really give people much time to get ready for it um it yeah it depends it depends how the next few years go uh, and um if these people who are unhappy who were former brexiteers continue to be unhappy because they as they realize they were sold this pack of lies uh and as like the the really hardcore brexiteers either lose power or get replaced by younger politicians who actually are in favour of returning. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can yeah. see there being a path to coming back. It'd be very difficult, and and if we do go back, um, we'll certainly not have the same privileges and... Uh, opt-outs that we used to have so before before leaving we basically managed to position ourselves even though we hadn't been a founding member of the eu we positioned ourselves as one of the forces that if we weren't on board with something it just either wouldn't happen or it could just be a, an opt-in situation like with the schengen area or the euro or all that kind of stuff uh, we also had a massive rebate from, so that we would pay a lot of money, but then get quite a lot of it back almost immediately in the rebate. Uh, so yeah, like when you say pay a lot, well, wait a minute. When you say pay a lot of money, you mean like you, the British sub or British citizens or subjects or whatever you are. Oh, first, are are you a? Is it citizens or subjects? I think it's citizens these days. Or, or... Uh, citizens when you're just talking in terms of um, government, and then subjects is okay. generally just when talking about like the queen. Okay, okay, okay. So you, as a British citizen, you would pay taxes to the EU. No, no, okay. um, right. we pay taxes no. to the. Well, no. We used to pay taxes just to the UK government, and then each EU government would then pay in to the EU budget a certain amount. But we had um, 
Margaret Thatcher negotiated quite a sizable rebate that we wouldn't have to, or that we'd, we'd pay in, but then get quite a lot of that money back immediately so that the amount that we actually really paid in would uh, go down significantly. And it's just stuff like that, that um, if we do manage to join back and get and be allowed to join in again, uh, we, w- we won't have access to that and we certainly won't be able to try and negotiate and get it back. We'll have to be, it'll be on a much more equal footing. Possibly, possibly we might, we might not have to be necessarily fully integrated there are obviously some eu states that are uh not in the schengen area or in the euro they don't all have to be like that okay i know i know what a euro is i know what the euro is that's the common currency for i guess continental europe yeah right so but i'm not the schengen what is that uh the schengen area is the area in the eu where uh even though all the eu has free movement of people and trade and goods and stuff schengen was an agreement that was reached i think it was in 1997 or maybe a bit later i'm i'm yeah i'm blanking on the dates but um yeah, it's basically just an agreement that was reached where in um, all these countries that signed up to it, they wouldn't have any border checks or anything between them. So if you went from, say, France to Germany, there is absolutely no border checks at all. It, at, at points, you won't even realise that you've switched, that you've moved from one country to another until you see a sign in the other country in the other language obviously yeah. and and now that now that you're in essentially now that you're out of the EU like there there might even be, literally be roads you won't even be able to go down is that's what you're telling me like they'll want they'll have to funnel british traffic into checkpoints basically uh yeah, I mean, because um, the the UK never opted into the Schengen area, um, because obviously, yeah. uh, being an island, it'd be a bit difficult not to have any kind of um, border checks or anything there. Um, there is the issue with Northern Ireland that they can't have any border checks there. Uh, there can't be a hard border there because of because of the Good Friday Agreement and, uh, and the worries that. Uh, setting up a hard border or any kind of real proper border there would lead to more or resumed fighting sorry which is me which has meant that uh basically the brexit deal has placed a border between northern ireland and the rest of the uk um the the border at uh calais is now whereas before it was just a between two countries that were in the same area and there wasn't any issue of like the um, paperwork being different or anything like that there wasn't a there we weren't in the schengen area but we did have frictionless trade so there was a border 
but it didn't have any real issues. It's just to check that there aren't like um, people coming in in lorries or yeah, like illegal immigrants there coming in through the through Eurostar or anything like that. Um, if there if there's like uh, an illness that, or a disease that's popping up in in Europe, then it's a bit easier to shut off in the UK and protect us there. Obviously, that hasn't really been applied up until recently, but yeah. Uh, but now there is a there is a proper proper border, which has meant there's a lot of friction because even though at the minute all the paperwork and all the legislation is the same the the deal hasn't really um helped people and so like the, uh the other day there was a newspaper article about um some people who had been some van drivers who had been stopped going into Amsterdam no uh maybe uh, I don't know if it was Amsterdam it was somewhere in the Netherlands yeah, yeah. And they were stopped and told they had to get rid of all their sandwiches because the the ham wasn't in um, the trade agreement or something like that. And it's just yeah, it's basically just not. So they couldn't. Wait a minute. They had to get rid of their lunch because their lunch wasn't in the. Or was it they were moving? They had to get rid of their lunch because their lunch wasn't allowed. Well, we'll see right there. I mean, that to me right there, that would be something, if I were on the fence about Brexit, I mean, that to me, I, you know, what does some bureaucrat in Brussels care about my lunch? <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, it just, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of Brexit ag- agnostic, basically. I'm a Brexit agnostic, essentially. You know, like, yeah. Which um how do so when they were selling Brexit to the people, uh what were some of the things they would harp on or what were some of the things they would dwell on? Uh so basically the main campaign issues were um returning sovereignty from unelected Brussels bureaucrats, um restoring the sovereignty of the par- of Parliament in the UK and the getting rid of the European European Court of Justice, um, that we have, that we would have uh, an Australian style points immigration system, or anything, basically any kind of immigration system that we wanted that wasn't just uh, allow anyone from. Europe to come along and also um, that we would be able to trade with whoever we wanted in whatever way that we wanted without having to wait for um, all 27 other countries to agree on a trade deal uh, and I th- and there was also like some other minor things um, Basically, they would also say that, like, we'll be a lot richer, a lot happier. Uh, There was also a really big issue made of um, fisheries 
and how uh, the UK fishing industry was being uh, basically destroyed by having to share British fishing waters with other nations and stuff like that, even though now, after Brexit has happened, um, and uh, fisheries was made to be one of the points in the deal because it was one of the biggest sticking points, even though it's only like 3% of the UK economy, um, and it nearly derailed any possible trade deal. Uh, now all the fishermen, or most of the fishers, fishermen are saying that uh, they can't sell their stock in Europe because they're not allowed to, because they don't have the regulations, they don't have the legislation, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it was just basically like that. Um, it mainly mainly played on... Um, people's fears of immigration and unchecked immigration, even though uh, there's a lot more people uh, emigrating from the UK to other parts of Britain, to other parts of the EU, sorry, uh, than there were really EU citizens coming here. There was also the fact that it was also not mentioned by Brexiteers that EU citizens that immigrate here uh, actually pay in a massive massive amount in tax more than any of them took out in benefits or um, state aid in that way and yeah it was mainly played on people's fears and emotions like that yeah is not the best way well, it, to run a campaign but apparently it worked it also strikes me that like you were saying they harped on the manufacturing but they didn't harp on the services yeah. and maybe that's because they knew that the service people knew that or at least felt like they were dependent on this interconnectivity with Europe where the manufacturing people are the people that I don't, is there manufacturing that happens in Britain? I, I don't really know. Like, uh, Well, there was, but a lot of the manufacturing companies have left. Uh, a lot of the financial services have also moved their headquarters from London to uh, other European countries to stay in the EU. Um, basically, the, on, the only big manufacturing company that hasn't left or um cancelled plans to build stuff is um oh hold on i think i think it was uh nissan but i'm not uh, let me just check because i i saw it on my news feed the like two hours ago i think um where is it how many people live in britain uh, give or take like 60 million something like that uh it's like 66 million okay so i mean an economy of 66 million people that's a lot smaller than like europe <laughs> basically i mean so yeah 
don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I kind of wonder if you guys are gonna. I mean, if Britain is gonna get back, eventually have to get back into the EU or or what have you. Um, well, let me ask you this. Um, so you're Mexican British, I guess. So I wanted to get your take on Mexico. Yeah. So what's, so what do you think about, I mean, when you, first of all, you've been to Mexico, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, I don't know how many times now. Um, uh, for a long period of time, it was basically like once a year. Uh, then yeah. it just uh, kind of stopped for a while because I had um, school, yeah, life in general. Yeah. So tell me, um, so first of all, Mexico. I envision Mexico as a hot place, like a hotter place than Britain. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that'd be right. Um. So, like, what what do you think the the biggest difference on the ground level between Mexico and and Britain is? Uh. Oh, I don't know. Um. Well, in in the UK we have um we have like the National Health Service, and we also have uh the unemployment and uh, benefits and stuff scheme. Yeah. Um, some people call it the the nanny state, but I mean the vast majority of people right. don't need it or use most of them. Um. In Mexico, as far as I'm aware, there is no real. Well, there's. It's more like the U.S. in that um, healthcare is much more privatized and dependent on insurance. As far as I'm aware, it's much more paid. Sure on that. So, so it's much more pay as you go kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I um. Think so. so let me ask you. Um, I meant as far as like when you get off the plane, right? Oh, okay. When you get off the plane, like not not you know big people, not like the big picture, but like when you think about Mexico, like if you were when you get off the plane or whatever, like how do you know what's the thing that hits you? Like, oh, I'm in Mexico. Uh. Well, obviously, there's the fact that um, all of a sudden everyone's speaking Spanish all the time. Um, so, yeah, like all, yeah. all the signs and everything, they're all all in Spanish. Um, oh no, uh, traffic! Heat, traffic is uh, really yeah. different there than it is here. Um, yeah, Mexico, Mexico City is Mexico City is one of the biggest cities in the world. So, and that's where your people are from. That's where your parents are from, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, and there are definitely times yeah. uh, when you can tell that it's one of the biggest and most populated cities in the world. It's just just ram packed with people in the congestion and stuff is is just insane 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, is it Mexico City's high up though, right? Like it's it's high up. It's altitude wise. Uh because it's in mountains, so Yeah, it's I mean it's like a few hundred, maybe a few thousand meters yeah. up, yeah. Well the thing the thing I'm wondering is because like I live the city I live in, uh in the US, um we're pretty high up too. Yeah. Okay, so my climate is different. Like my climate where I live is different than the climate like a couple hours south of me. Okay? Like big time. Especially in the winter. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, I know elevation matters. Um, is Mexico, do you feel safe when you go to Mexico? Where do you feel safer in Britain or Mexico, for example? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll probably say Britain, but that's because I know everywhere, but I know my city i know my town and stuff um i obviously know cardiff as well because that's where i went to uni i know quite a lot of london i've been there loads whereas every time that i've been on holiday to mexico i i only see small parts and or like i don't see like the whole city in the same amount of detail so i don't have and i don't have enough time usually to like get to know it in that level of detail to be able to um to go to go exploring basically yeah um so london london's a really old really old city i mean goes back to the romans yeah um so how far are you from london basically um i'm like 40 minutes outside London. Um, yeah. Less if you take the train. So what do you think, uh, what do you think Brexit is going to do to London and to, to the cities? Do you think you're going to get more, more Chinese investment? Cause I've read about that where you guys might be getting more Chinese investment because of Brexit. Um, Things like that, or how do you think it's going to affect London, Brexit? Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it's going to be a, an issue because, like, they never. Well, um, a lot of London is basically is just based around finance and banking and being that uh kind of financial institution capital of the world or at least in Europe where it which it now can't do as well as a lot of these kind of banking companies have moved their capital they're not their capital their headquarters sorry out of the capital um it'll probably be 
okay. It won't, yeah, it just won't do as well as it did before Brexit. Um, until maybe if we're lucky, a few decades down the line. But by then, it's such like it's such a long term possible gain that it just doesn't, in my mind, justify in any way leaving. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, I feel it sounds like if the main industry in London is financial, I don't know, I feel like, or at least sounds like to me, all the way across the world, all the way across the Atlantic, that there's a lot of talk, there might be a lot of talk in London about how Brexit's going to change London. Just change the city entirely, basically. I mean, do you get a sense of that where you live, or am I just... Making that up. Uh, I don't know. No, it's not really something I've heard before. Um, I guess it could happen. But, yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, I mean, in, in America, in the U.S., we've had a lot of job, uh, outs- what they call here, job outsourcing. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, like when the major, when the major industry in a city picks up and leaves, you're going to get changes. Like you look at Detroit, you look at lots of places. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So, um, what do you see like the biggest I mean, from your perspective, what do you think the biggest challenge is for, like, for Britain, just from your perspective? Uh, I don't know. Um, it was probably at the minute, making Brexit work and managing to get um, enough trade deals and to actually justify having left and not not just getting enough, but getting enough of a good quality that also wouldn't necessarily undermine other issues like... um, the UK stance on human rights abuses and stuff like that um, and actually making sure that we stayed uh, present on the global stage yeah so here let me ask you a question because I think I've had well I have I've had one other guest where I talk about Brexit um, can you and she for different reasons, like she couldn't tell me the answer to this question. Like she wasn't allowed to tell me the answer to this question. If, if I was to, so like if I were to drop into England or to Britain, like if I just parachuted into Britain, right. Um, who would be the, first of all, your parties, for those of you who don't know, like the parties in Britain are like 
Tory and Labour, right? Or conservative and Labour. Yeah. Okay. So who are the stereotypical like if you had to close your eyes and think, well, this is a Labour voter versus this is a Tory voter or a conservative voter, who would you be picturing in your in your mind? Oh, uh Well, I think I would have to decline to answer that because we recently had quite a uh, big shift, so I, I don't want to upset okay. anyone. So, right. No, I get it. I get it. The internet, the internet's a public thing. Um. So who, okay, so did it turn out that voting for Brexit crossed parties like it? Across both Tory and or conservative and Labour, or was it all just one party, or mostly just one party, or what was the deal there? Um, it yeah it it was a um as far as I as far as I know and can tell it was more of a cross party issue, but for different reasons in each party apart from um of like the smaller parties uh well uh, the liberal democrats who are the well they were the third party but now are more like the fourth biggest um and the scottish nationalist scottish nationalist party uh the snp they were also um as far as i know pretty much all against both of them um but yeah there, there was a mix of the two biggest party members who voted for brexit but as i say like the different reasons on each side okay so it's fair to say brexit was kind of the uh, political earthquake that caused maybe caused a, a fracturing of the coalitions or or what uh yeah I, I guess you could say that yeah okay um now i talked to this young lady who she worked at a non-profit uh to educate people to vote in britain uh, could you walk me through what the voting process is, at least from your perspective? Uh, like okay, when you when you go vote, first of all, do you don't have to tell me who you vote for, but when you vote, yeah. like, do you just turn up at a uh, a place and you just mark a ballot or or like we get lots of mailers we get like a lot of stuff in the mail about different candidates for different offices um do you guys get that or not first of all uh, let's start there yeah well i mean there's um well politicians will like canvas or candidates will canvas um so they'll turn up or they'll have people on the campaign turn up uh, at your door possibly try and talk to you and convince you to vote for them um, 
they'll put leaflets and stuff in through um, the letterbox. The on like a more national, that's like on the the local issue, um, local way of looking at it. Uh, on like the more national grand uh, scale, the the well, the like the biggest parties will put out party election broadcasts, which during the election will be allowed to be shown on like the biggest uh, TV channels. Um, they have to say that it's a party election broadcast uh, and for which party. But they they'll put on some they'll put on like a little advert basically. Um, they'll put on some stuff on like social media. They'll, they'll, yeah, like each candidate obviously will be putting stuff on social media, but uh, there'll be more adverts on social media to for supporting one or another party, um, and then you just end up if, at the end. One, if you're eligible, you'll be sent a card in the post that that tells you um, where your voting, where your poll station is, where you go to vote, um, it all like have all the information on when you need to vote and all that kind of stuff. So like what day it is and how long that polling station is open for. And then you just go in, um, you, you don't have to show your card you just say your name so that they know that you're on the list and that you're at that you're at the right polling station and then you um get given the slip with all the candidates and you go off to little booth and you you mark your prefer you mark the one that you want to win or that you think is most likely to win or whatever you whoever you choose to support so it's a first past the post system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you want to explain to my listeners what a first past the post system is? Uh, well, basically, it just means um, whoever has the majority of votes, as in at least one more than the next biggest person, will be elected. Obviously. Um, if there's like a really small margin of error, like the one more, then um, recounts can be called and stuff like that. But it, it's yeah, as long as long as you have the most, yeah, more than anyone else, but not necessarily more than everyone else combined. So you can you can win with say less with less than say fifty percent of the vote as long as uh, say you, as long as you're the top candidate, basically. Yeah. Say, say if there's um seven people standing in that seat, uh, if three of them have three votes, two of them have five hundred, one of them has seven hundred, the other one only the the last one only needs seven hundred and one votes to win, instead of just having necessarily uh all of the votes except for like six 
Okay. And then, okay, so, and then this is a difference in the American system. Um, so, and then the party with the most seats then picks the prime ministers. Is that well, accurate? Uh, basically, yeah. Like It's just um, whichever party has the most seats, um, assuming they assuming the party has at least half the seats they can make their own government um without any issue and the the leader of that party will become the prime minister if they have the most seats but it's not quite uh 51% of the seats they may need to um they can try and make a government up by themselves, which would be a minority government, or they can enter into a coalition with a smaller party, a number of smaller parties, in order to um, in order to make sure that they have more than fifty percent and can therefore pass all their laws, all the legislation into law, without any issue or problem. Mm. Mm-hmm. And just in general, what do you think of that system? I mean, do you think it's a good system? Do you, have you, first of all, have you, have you thought about it? Uh, I mean, yes, it's a good system. Um, it's worked for a long time. Uh, a lot of the other voting systems wouldn't necessarily work that well um, in the UK just because of um, like the, the, the culture here, the political culture. Um, there are some that might work if they were uh, if they were adapted a bit. So if there were you, you, there is the argument to be made that there could be a system of proportional representation where um, which is basically just um, whoever, gets the, the whatever amount of votes you get that's how many seats you get it wouldn't necessarily work just like that because obviously um similar to in the u.s how you have uh house of representative congressmen uh they represent each district um in the uk each member of parliament represents a seat, and so you need to find a way in the proportional representation to allocate a politician from the party that's got the most in that area to that area without then uh, making more people from that party have more seats just because some areas have more, but overall they've got less votes so it it would need to be um adapted and be more of a maybe like a a list system would work where um some where people can vote based on a certain amount and then a certain amount of candidates and they get a certain amount of votes and then whoever gets the most votes each time will be elected to make it a bit more proportional but mm, it, yeah it's it, it's a tricky it's a tricky one just because mm. 
the way the way that things are here, it wouldn't necessarily work if the first past the post system was just completely thrown out and changed. Is that because the first past the post system has been around for so long, or? Uh, yeah, and I mean for the vast, vast majority of the UK, it's all anyone knows how to do. Um, obviously, with the the devolved governments in Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, uh, they they use um proportional representation for their voting systems but they're still um they're, they're still not like full proportional representation systems i think they're um more like multi-member constituencies so the the one seat or one constituency will have a certain amount of politicians that are allocated to it and then from the vote share in that area will be given to each party so if say there's seven candidates seven positions in one area and three parties which each get um two of which get almost 50 percent and one of them is that tiebreaker then those two big parties would get three and then the smaller one would just get one but it, it they don't all three of them uh i believe all three of them use different systems to the others but for the vast vast majority at least in england there's no other system than fast past the post Hmm. Hmm. Do you know anything about the Mexican? I guess the way the Mexicans have elections, or or not? Uh. No, not really. Um, and my my dad would kill me for that because he, yeah, he, he <laughs> doesn't yeah. doesn't like that. Yeah. Know that much. They they I know that huh. they have a presidential system. And they also do have um, a Congress and stuff, but I don't, I don't know in detail how, whether it's first past the post or proportional representation or anything like that. Okay, um, I guess that's fair. I mean, you know, it's across the planet from where you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, Itor, uh, do you have anything you want to tell the internet as we close this out? Um, make sure you vote and keep up to date on what your elected officials are doing. If you don't agree with what they're doing, then drop them a message. If they sh- they should listen right. to you even if you didn't vote for them. Um, yeah. Take part in the system. It, it's not always you, the best, but it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And it's always better it's to better try than and nothing. improve things from the inside 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't think of anything else I'd want to say. <laughs> well, all right. Hold on a second. Well, uh, you have to stay on the line while this downloads. Yeah.